What's going on, boys and girls? We got a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the show Matt Cronin, 83kg lifter, USAPL, and one hell of a powerlifting coach. And this is probably going to be one of the more beneficial interviews you're ever going to listen to. Um, it's insightful. We talk a lot about coaching and competing and the differences and similarities between the two. We talk about the sport in general. USAPL just raised their qualifying totals. We get into a pretty good riff about that. We have a great game of word association. We rant about frustrating things coaches do, frustrating things athletes do. A terrific interview with Matt Cronin. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about Rival Us. Ladies and gentlemen, visit RivalUs.net. Use promo code ANGELO15 and get 15% off of your protein, creatines, branched amino acids, pre-workout creatine. I think I said creatine twice. That's how important it is. Use promo code ANGELO15 and you could save 15% off of the two things of creatine you're going to buy. Also, visit 2 buy yourself some merch, and visit the blog. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and the review, and follow us on Spotify. Here it is, Two White Lights. It is Wednesday, November 13th, and yeah, I cut the intro song out because you know what? I'm getting sick and tired of the intro song, and I think I'm going to change it. I keep on listening to it, and for some reason, it's driving me crazy. I know it's a long time coming, but I mean, I mean, it's a long time we had that, and it's... I don't know if it's our identity, but I'm, I'm changing it. I'm going to find a good song for that, but... Two White Lights, I promised an interview. I'm going to give you guys an interview. We had a terrific one with Matt Cronin. I just went through the introduction on the pre-show, and just a great interview with him. Um, seriously, one of, I'm going to argue that it's going to be one of the more beneficial episodes you're going to listen to. It was insightful, yet entertaining as well. So, love talking to Matt. He's my kind of people, and I'm not going to ramble on and on about it. Here it is. And as promised, I got with me via FaceTime, 21-year-old lifter. You wouldn't know it because he's got a beautiful fucking beard. He out-totaled me at Raw Nationals by 2 kilograms, you son of a bitch. I have with me one of one of the better young lifters and one of the better coaches in USAPL, Matt Cronin. How are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, man. And I had a few people speak very highly of you. And recommend me watch some of your videos on Instagram. And I watched one of your deadlift videos about wedging. And it made a quick improvement in my deadlift. Like a super quick improvement. So, of course, when I go on Instagram page, I got to see the lifts too. I saw your list. like, fucking good competitor, good mind. And I would love them as a guest on Two White Lights. Well, yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, doing – I interview a lot, I guess – you know, I interview a lot of people for like my own coaching. Like I, you know, talk to a lot of people and I'm always kind of asking the questions. So it's always fun to kind of flip the script, a little, flip the script a little bit and be the one that gets to talk a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I'm excited to talk to you. And before we get into your coaching and um, competitive powerlifting career, we always got to ask, how did you get your start into powerlifting and fitness? Give you, give us a bit of your origin story. Yeah, sure. Um, so when I was younger, like, uh, you know, I grew up with a single mom and, uh, she worked a lot, obviously. And I have a younger sister, so I would have to, you know, like 
kind of watched my younger sister. This was probably when I was like 13 or 14 or something like that. Um, and just like out of boredom started, like I literally started doing like six pack shortcuts, uh, shit, uh, at home, like doing mad pushups and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and eventually that turned into me like going, um, I think first I like bought for like a hundred bucks on Craigslist, like, uh, like a weight set where it was like, like a 15 pound bar and like cement weights. Um, so I, you know, worked out in my basement for a little bit and then that turned into me going to the weight room in school and lying to the, they always like only wanted like the, the athletes, the team sport athletes to be in the weight room. So like if it was like a Tuesday, I'd walk in and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm on like the football team. Like, you know, can I work out? Cause there's lacrosse guys. And then like Thursday, I would say the opposite. Um, and like, I just kind of started off wanting to just like, you know, look better, I guess, you know, all the same sort of stuff everybody else starts out for. Eventually signed up for a gym down the street from my high school, started working out there. Um, didn't really have like a crazy goal in mind, but uh, then I saw uh, Dan Green for the first time and I was like, I want to f- do that shit. Um, so I think like right then I started uh, like, you know, researching like powerlifting programs and got really interested in it. all that kind of stuff uh, and kind of, you know, got obsessed with it and never really looked back. Yeah, it's 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 a common trend with at least the past five or six guests that we have on the show, and most most of the guests we have on are relatively young, within that twenty one through thirty year old range, or even younger than twenty one. And I'm assuming you saw Dan Green on social media, right? I saw him. I think I like heard what powerlifting was or whatever, and the gym that I signed up for up the street from me. Um, I was like, you know, lucky enough to, to, to live in an area where that gym had a corner of the gym that was like powerlifting equipment. They had a monolift, they had a Forza bench, um, all this sort of stuff. And there was like, you know, some really, really strong guys who trained back there. And I was kind of like interested in it. So I think I like YouTubed it or something. And, um, like the first thing that popped up was, um, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, they used to just do like, uh, almost like training log videos for animal It'd be like a black and white video, no talking. And it would just be like, them like doing what their their training session was and i remember seeing dan green you know he's pulling 750 for five or something and he is just like fucking super jacked and i was just like all right how do i do this it's it's cool to hear that because it was again from social media and social media in my opinion is doing more good for the sport than bad people kind of have a different opinion on that but so far from all the guests we had on it's helping you get propelled in the sport and push into the sport But I have to ask, is there any sort of background that you pursued to make you a pretty effective coach? So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, You know, I've pretty much everything in my life where I've really become passionate about something uh, and really enjoyed something. I just kind of fully like immersed myself into it before I was uh, like a power lifter. uh, It was skateboarding. I was a skateboarder all growing up. And I was also, you know, the, the thing I wanted to pursue for, for as a job was being an artist. I wanted to be like a tattoo artist. So I kind of immersed myself into, all, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it was basically once I found something else that I really liked, um, you know, it was kind of just the same thing. And I, I always want to know the next thing. I always want to know everything I possibly can and be like the, you know, the guy to ask when it comes to like that kind of stuff. Um, just because I really enjoy talking about it and I really enjoy teaching people. And, uh, there was, so that kind of got me interested. I would just like go to the you know, gym with, with my buddy, his name's Dylan. Uh, and you know, I used to just try to teach him shit. And then in 11th and 12th grade of high school, we actually had, uh, you know, where I went to school, it was like a, a trade school program where instead of taking electives, we would get on a bus and go to a different location for half the day and you could take a trade 
and they had a personal training trade. So I took that for two years, um, loved it, did really well. That's where I learned like all of my, you know, really basic like anatomy, physiology, biomechanic stuff, just like very like, you know, personal training textbook stuff. And um, after that, I was doing some like free coaching for, for, you know, kids my age that I knew or just like met through, you know, the internet and stuff. And then I, uh, in like pretty much the last few months of senior year of high school, I started interning at a, a you know, a really very solid strength and conditioning facility in Long Island, New York called Superior Athletics. And I interned there for, you know, probably like 18 weeks or something like that. And then, uh, I got offered a job and there I was training, um, you know, all sorts of field sport athletes, uh, wrestlers, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so while I was, you know, learning all the stuff from powerlifting through the, the internet and, you know, all those kind of resources and just through training and competing myself, uh, I was, you know, also given the opportunity to coach a lot of field sport athlete stuff. And, you know, that had a way, you know, bigger return on investment than anything that powerlifting could ever teach me to be as, as a powerlifting coach. So long story long. Yeah, oh, I, it's interesting you mentioned that. So how how is it different coaching a field sport athlete than to a powerlifter? So a field sport athlete has to be a lot of different things. They have to be, you know, depending on what sport, obviously, you know, they're one, pretty much every, you know, field sport is going to be multidirectional. So mm-hmm. you're not just like hanging out in that sagittal plane, you know, forward and back, up and down. So, you know, learning to, you know, program exercises like that, learning to teach exercises like that, uh, you know, they have to be quick. So you have to, you know, know how to teach plyometric exercises, know how to teach someone how to properly sprint, and more importantly, be able to watch them sprint and say like, okay, here's what they did wrong, which is a lot harder. You know, when I was thrown into the fire of that, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to get good at this uh, because, you know, watch someone sprint 10 yards. It takes, you know, like two, three seconds, right? If even that. So like, it's really hard to see the little intricacies in real time like that. And, you know, just taking someone who needs to be, like I said, just good at so many things, uh, not necessarily amazing, but they have to be powerful. They have to be strong. They have to be resilient. They have to be fast, all this kind of stuff. And powerlifting, it, it, the easiest way I can put it is that coaching field sport athletes made coaching powerlifting so easy because mm-hmm. you pick up so much stuff on like, you know, position or, uh, you know, different warm up modalities or, or whatever it is from the field sport aspect of stuff. And you can take that and apply those principles into powerlifting. And then, you know, suddenly people who have never, you know, maybe been coached by someone in field sports thinks you're like a, a genie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was about to ask, what's the carryover for teaching those type of athletes into powerlifting? And you pretty much answered it there. So I, w- I was assuming that it will be easier to coach a powerlifter on just how to lift more weight as opposed to a athlete trying to perform better in a specific sport. Yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, so many, so many aspects of it that can go into it. Um, and like, I'm kind of blanking on some of them just because it's been, you know, I, I haven't worked with field sport athletes in a, a little over a year. So I'm a little rusty, obviously. But, uh, you know, when I did work with them, it just teaches you so much. And especially in the new age of like powerlifting coaching, where, you know, the barrier for entry is really low for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not necessarily 
um, as much like formal education. So, you know, if it's that stuff or even another one that pops into mind is like, uh, you know, periodization of programming, like the periodization of programming for a baseball player mm-hmm. is incredibly like, you know, specific and, uh, you know, very has a lot of minutia to it. And you need to kind of be on the money, you know, for when you're focusing on certain aspects of performance. Right. Um, and like I said, powerlifting is really very easy once you know that kind of stuff but again you can take those same principles to a certain extent and apply them to powerlifting and you know just be that much better of uh, you know uh, of a coach for your athletes would you say because you said the entry level is pretty low for powerlifting would you say that that educational background is needed to coach lifters like the the practical field sport backgrounds i mean or just like or i mean just really just that that exercise science background because there are certain powerlifters, I mean, a lot of powerlifting coaches who don't necessarily do that. Do you think, I'm, and I'm asking more so if it's a necessity. That's a good question. I mean, I don't necessarily think that anyone needs to have any sort of, like, very formal education or anything like that. I just think that there's a, a proper way to go about it, and the proper way to go about it is not... Um, not coaching people and then being like, okay, I'm coaching people. I charge a hundred dollars a month. I think that that's like very like irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that you need just as a coach, like to kind of put the responsibility upon yourself to be like, you know, I have no experience in this and I have no formal education in this. So, you know, I need to spend a, a lot of time where I'm not really making any money or anything like that to, get really good at this and prove that I'm really good at this. And, you know, it's very easy to take a new lifter and get them really strong really quick, but Mm -hmm. how long can you get that person stronger? Do they, do they hit, do they run into, you know, injuries and how do you help manage them with that and all that kind of stuff? So I have no, you know, um, I have, I guess, formal education, a formal background education, but I don't have any sort of certification. I didn't go to college. I don't have a degree or anything like that. Um, But I feel very, you know, competent as a coach myself, just through all of the, you know, practical, um, experience that I've kind of gained. And, you know, the reality of it is, is like, I think that the market is always going to kind of just like sort itself out. And if somebody is not doing a great job and they're popping for a little bit, you know, there's probably going to come a time where people start to realize that there's a lot better options out there. And, you know, those people being, uh, you know, athletes that work under that coach and they'll probably end up seeking out someone who they feel is better. Uh, so, you know, it, it does frustrate me a lot of times to see particular, you know, quote coaches, you know, be charging people all this money. But at the same time, like, you know, I know that if they're not as good as I think that they are, that they're not going to last. So, yeah. And uh, yeah. And that's it's an interesting debate that happens in powerlifting, especially now, because I brought up at the beginning of the show, social media is big. You know, I promote yeah. the show primarily through social media and you're going to get a lot of people pushing the coaching because they believe that they deserve to be coaching because they're either popular or people in their DMs enough like, hey, man, can you give me coaching? Um, and they find a way to monetize it. Usually an interesting debate on where their educational background comes into play. Um, and I do agree, like, it's not necessarily the case. I think a lot of coaches can go through a lot of the same principles or just experience themselves. Just as yeah. being competitors, being coached under other people usually helps a lot too. So, uh, yeah, just just curious to ask you about that. But we're going to get into your coaching a little bit later. 
We've had a lot of people compete at USAPL Raw Nationals happen in late October. You competed, had a great competition as well. So, one, just describe your performance. Were you satisfied with it? And what are your future? What are your plans going forward? I'm definitely like happy with my performance, just from an, uh, an objective standpoint. You know, I had a a good meet in terms of like what I've done in the past. Uh, I was a little bit unsatisfied with a couple things. Um, you know, for those who don't know, uh, I ended up like, passing out on my second deadlift and uh, knocking my head pretty nice on the deadlift. That was your second deadlift. Yeah, I passed out on my second deadlift. Um, and I was feeling amazing on pulls and like that training cycle, you know, my pulls had made the most amount of progress over anything else. So like the biggest space for me to PR my total was going to be with the deadlift. So, um, you know, I missed it on my second from passing out and then I ended up hitting it on my third. You know, like I said, it was a good, good total for me based off of my best performances in the past. Um, but you know, I, felt like I made a, you know, a couple mistakes with like, you know, rehydration from, from cutting and stuff like that, that I definitely learned from and, uh, you know, kind of paid a little bit from it for, you know, ended up being a little spacey, uh, after like, you know, standing up from squats and, uh, you know, pulling my deadlifts, obviously. So I think fixing those things, I'll, I'll end up with a, a better, you know, performance in the future. And I'm just kind of excited to build on that in terms of like, you know, what my, my future, you know, plan is for, for competing. I'm not really entirely sure. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of care to do the Arnold for whatever reason. So I'm thinking probably just going to find some competition, like local meet in like the Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine area. And just like in the spring or something like that and, and hit that up before, before national just try to put together like a, a really solid meet. Not really have to travel for it or worry about anything like that. Yeah. And I think that's a trend now is like two or three meets a year that people are going to take. And one of those of course being nationals and, and I really didn't get to talk to you too much at nationals uh, cause we're both competing on the same day. You were a platform down for me. So, you know, conver- conversing was at kept to a minimum, even with people I was really good friends with like yeah. at raw nationals that I was competing with. Cause it's it's kind of hectic. You kind of want to get you 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 want to get your shit in. You want to get your warm ups in. And you want to make sure you're in a zone. But I I was curious how many people were you coaching and handling at nationals. So um, if I remember the number off the top of my head correctly, um, I'm trying to think. It's it, sad that I don't remember this. Well, it, it's very hard to tell because you don't have a team flex shirt like out there. <laughs> And you yeah. don't have a Team Nori shirt. So I could tell how many guys Flex and Noriega had and TSA too because they all have those little logos. But I couldn't tell like certain other coaches. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm just going to run through it just so I you know, can remember off the top of my head. Uh, like day one, I had uh, two 66 kilo lifters. Um, and then on my day, I had uh, two 83 kilo lifters as well. Uh, I didn't have any 93s. I had a 120. So that's five males. Um, and then I had uh, my girlfriend, who was a 63 kilo, uh, another 63 kilo lifter. And uh, I also actually had a, another 74 lifter. So I think that's seven right there. Okay. So what's more difficult, you know, caring for all those competitors or just your own performance? Well, actually, uh, I should say that I only handled people who were who competed after me. Okay. Um, and I, I made that very, like, it's important for me to like make it known to my people like a good while ahead of time like hey like you know um i had a you know going into 
nationals, I had a in my head a pretty good shot of making you know the junior national team just based off of you know placing as high as I could behind the people who aged out. Um, so I told you know all my lifters like, hey, this is a really important year for me. Mm-hmm. This is something that like I really want to pursue. So the people who um, you know needed handlers, like I I personally like paid for uh, their handlers and found them good ones and got them taken care of. Uh, and then the people who competed after me. Um, I took care of myself. So I didn't end up handling all that many people, but I had, like I said, I think, you know, off the top of my head, I had eight, about eight lifters. All right. So it what so what is, so would you feel more pressure coaching someone or yourself competing or will it change based on circumstance? Um, I, I definitely feel more pressure coaching. Um, you know, when it comes to myself, like I coach myself, mm-hmm. I know it's very common for, you know, lifters and like, this is, you know, whether or not it's right or wrong, like, you know, is a whole nother conversation. But, you know, a lot of lifters, I think, feel like maybe they, like, let their coach down if they don't compete, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the, the to their ability. And I've been coaching myself for a while now, um, and I kind of just, like, know what it, know what it comes with. And um, I'm also not a very, like, emotional lifter. So if I have a, a, a bad day, like one, it's kind of completely on me because I take care of all the variables myself. Mm-hmm. And two, like, um, it seems like the, the trend for like the last like two years or whatever has been, uh, you know, I only do well at raw nationals and uh, I compete like one or two times in between each nationals. And I always like, like I've just traditionally and, like, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make this not happen, but uh, traditionally just like shit the bed uh, in the, the other meets. Um, you know, most times it's been due to just like walking around too heavy and like having to cut, you know, a, a pretty hot, like big amount of weight. But so, you know, I kind of know how it goes. Like, you know, the day can go in, in a million different directions and I don't really get too upset about it if I don't, you know, exceed or, you know, meet my own expectations of myself. Um, because like, I really enjoy training and, you know, if I never competed again, I'd probably still train the way that I train. So I definitely feel a lot more pressure, um, you know, coaching. It's, it's as a coach, like I definitely take a lot more response, like take, you know, a lot of responsibility if someone doesn't do as well as, you know, we both feel that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they do really well, uh, just me being me, I'm like, that's, you know, that's all them. They, 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 you know, took care of their business and, and did their thing. I didn't really have much to do with that. But when things don't go super well, I, I'm very, um, you know, analytical of myself and, and, and what I could have done better and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what I've always said was doing powerlifting was a relief for me. Cause I always played team sports and aside from me sucking at those sports, just in general, <laughs> I always said I was, I always played way on my heels because I hated the idea of letting my team down. I hated yeah. it and powerlifting. I'm a little bit more free, even though it seems like I'm a nervous wreck for most meets. I'm a little bit more free to do things, so I can understand why coaching would have a little bit more pressure than actually competing. But if you're competing and if you're training, do you ever seek out like a like someone else's opinion on a lift or like a, a second opinion on if something's not feeling right? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, like, the way that I kind of view my own training, I'll, as often as I can, especially when things aren't really, you know, going maybe the way that I want them to be going, I'll step outside of my, my own box and like try to just like view myself as if I was, you know, 
a an athlete that I work with instead of myself and try to, you know, look at my programming um, and, and see like what it is that I could be doing better. And if there's anything to adjust and try to just remove all emotion from it. But there's definitely like plenty of times where, um, you know, I hit up people and like I'm asking about like, Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What's your opinion on this? I mean, most of the times, honestly, it's, it's Sean Noriega just cause we're always like DM and shit to each other. Um, so, you know, I discussed training with him a lot. Uh, he was actually the first person who coached me back when I was, you know, probably when I was like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, so I've got a long, you know, long history with him and I trust his opinion as a coach. So I'm always asking him stuff. Um, you know, I'm, pretty regularly like hitting up uh, Brad Pouliard and asking him some stuff, but my list of people is small, but I'm definitely like, you know, asking them stuff pretty often. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and how about for competitions though? Because I, I mean, just, just calling your own attempts, I think you'll be good at, but what if there's something you're just not feeling on the platform that you just maybe want a second, you know, person telling you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I pretty much always have a handler that, um, takes care of me at competition uh you know whether i'm being coached by myself or being coached by someone else i pretty much always seek someone out like i know how things feel and whatever but it's just nice to have that stress completely taken off of you so uh when it's come to the you know most of the last few meets that i've done uh i have you know eric bodhorn i hired to take care of me on on meet day for run nationals he's a, a great mind a great you know uh not only just a coach, but, uh, in, in this case, he's a really great, you know, meet day coach. He kind of mm-hmm. just takes the stress off of it. And I think he's really good at calling attempts and kind of doing his job. Um, and then if I'm usually like in the New York area where I'm, I'm from and competing somewhere around there, I, you know, usually ends up being, uh, my buddy, Sean Collins, who, um, is a co-owner of uh, murder crows barbell in Brooklyn, New York. So usually I have to take care of me, but I've never gotten into a meet without like a, a handler. I just, don't know if I'd really, I'm not saying I wouldn't be successful and be able to call my attempts nicely, but at the same time, like, uh, it probably just wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. I, that's, it's always an interesting dynamic for me for coaches who are also high performing competitors on what exactly they do on meet day and throughout training. Because when you're, when you get to a point and when you start getting to the higher levels and jumping up in the rankings, you're going to start needing help. You're going to start needing help along the way. And when you're a coach, you have a really good repertoire of knowledge, but you still need those little tweaks. So it's, it's just cool to find out that you still need coaching when you're a great coach and especially on meet day too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when it's like, honestly, the times that I I hit up people the most is like, you know, asking about bench stuff because like I'm traditionally not an amazing bencher. So I'm always asking Sean, who is a great bencher, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what do you think of this exercise or that, or have you tried this or whatever? Uh, And it's usually just kind of like shooting the shit back and forth and kind of taking, taking whatever away from it. I really just enjoy talking to like, just talking shop with, you know, other coaches that I respect. um, And I think have like a good mind for the sport. So even if it's not like, you know, about something in particular for me. Like I'm always just like asking questions to, to other coaches that I like to talk to, but yeah, meet day is definitely huge. Like, like I said, I don't think I wouldn't be successful, but at the same time, it just wouldn't be fun. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah, interesting that you say that. So another thing that I'm curious about is what do you, all right, what's more rewarding then? So an athlete say winning a national championship or you winning a national championship? 
Um, I'm going to say definitely an athlete winning a, a national championship. It's, um, I don't know, there's just something about like knowing that, you know, you were part of what like helped that person get there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this past year at Nationals, I got to experience that to a, to a certain extent. Uh, Evan Glasgold, who was 18 at the time, just turned 19, uh, he beat out all the juniors, and he's going to be able to, you know, go to Worlds as a junior in his first year being eligible. And, like, the – I actually – it was really funny because I was competing the next morning, uh, and the day was running kind of late, and my girlfriend and I's Airbnb was, like, you know, 45 minutes away from um, – you know, the, the venue. So I ended up having to, to leave before I got to, you know, see Evan wrap it up. And we were sitting in like Chicago traffic, which was like insane. It was terrible. Where did you stay if it was 45 minutes away? Uh, so that was in Lombard and we were in, I don't, you know, a lot of people were like, Oh, what part of Chicago are you in? And I'm like, I have no fucking clue. Um, we were somewhere in Chicago. Okay. Um, so it was like 45 minutes away, you know, 35, if there was no traffic or something like that. But, so we're sitting in like bumper to bumper traffic on the highway and I've got my girlfriend, she's got the lifting cast up and I'm like, just tell me what like this guy's numbers say and his numbers say. And if that turns green, then he did this. And I remember just like being behind the wheel of the car and she's like, it's green. And then I just fucking freaked out. Like, I, you know, I, I went off. I was so excited. Um, and, you know, I personally, when I was like 17, 18, 19 years old, so take it for what you will. It's definitely not the same thing as winning like an open open championship uh i've won nationals you know a few times as a teen mm-hmm. and it's cool it's really exciting for me but i definitely get a lot um it's very rewarding to, to see someone that uh you know i've spent so much time talking to and and you know helping with and, and bouncing ideas off of and someone who's placed their faith in me you know uh really succeed to that high of a level yeah, and uh, I talked to Evan at Nationals, and he's one oh, fucking great guy and awesome damn competitor. Uh, I, I got to see a little bit of his meet, and he and we, we were just in a conversation with, uh, I, th- I think it was me, Garrett, and Ed Cohen, so I'm name-dropping very fucking hard right now. Oh, but yeah. um, he we were talking about coaching and just, like, different coaches on who to get. And then we're talking about Mount Rushmore coaches. And he asked me my opinion of Mount Rushmore coaches, and I completely blanked on a lot of names. But he was – he mentioned that you were his coach. I'm like, oh, no, shit. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was your – or you're his coach. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And he just kind of went through it. I'm like, he spoke very highly of you, and it kind of gave me an idea. I'm like, damn, this guy really knows his shit. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to give. I'll, I didn't know that. I'll have to give Evan, a, you know, a yeah, big he, or something he, next time. He, I yeah, see him. he might have told me that in confidence. So I just told it, told it to a podcast with a lot of people listening. So whatever. Oh, it's, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, Evan. Well, he won a national he, championship, so I don't give a fuck. He, yeah, Evan, yeah. Evan tells tells the world what he what he wants them to hear <laughs> anyway. So. So so if you're gonna have to put a label on yourself, would you put competitor or coach first? Oh, that's a hard question. Because, like, I spend a lot of time training. I spend a lot of time coaching. Um, I'm going to say if I had to go, if I had to be something without being the other for the rest of my days, mm-hmm. I would I'd rather be a coach. Okay. Why is that? Like I said, it's just a lot more rewarding, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I, not necessarily more, but, like, I am just someone who really loves the process of training. Um, and I could go through training for forever and write up, uh, you know, a million training cycles and just focus on getting better and better and better without competing and probably love it all the same. Like I, 
I just enjoy, I'm a very routine kind of guy, and I just enjoy that, that day-to-day, like, you know, hashtag fucking grind, bro. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would say that I'd rather be a coach for the rest of my days than a competitor. Hopefully I don't have to choose one or the other anytime soon because that's like a, a 51-49 split answer. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I love asking people hypotheticals like that and making them make <laughs> really hard decisions. They can um, get your legs bitten off by a shark. Yeah. Like, well, are you? <laughs> well, weird, weird, like, it's, people used to do that to me all the time because I'm a massive Cubs fan. Okay. So they would always ask, like, and it was when the Cubs didn't win a World Series. So the thing was much higher and the pressure was much higher on me to answer a hypothetical question that will never fucking exist ever. And they're like, would you rather have the Cubs win a World Series or you can never lift again? I'm like, what the fuck? That's a like, really hard goddamn question. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is I was thinking about it and started, like, getting nervous. And then I had to think, like, hey, this is a hypothetical question that makes no fucking sense. Just, yeah, just answer it freely, Angelo. You're fine. Yeah, the one you just asked me is a really good one because it makes me th- – it actually makes me think about, like, you know, what – I do and what I want to do and all that kind of stuff. But when people ask me shit like that, I'm like, what kind of stupid ass question is that, man? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with you. But and 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 I ask because I see a lot of coaches who are also competitors, but I think they might put themselves first, which is fine. It's yeah. fine if they put themselves first, but you kind of get into a weird dichotomy and battle between what you want to be and what's more important. And it is an important decision to make sometimes. You have to sometimes make those decisions that, okay, I'm going to put my athletes first, my performance second, or I have to put myself first and my athletes second. And you can have a little bit, you can have both of it, but uh, sometimes there is that decision you have to make. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, one of the, you know, major, you know, reasons that I didn't even care to sign up for the Arnolds. I had a, a handful of athletes that I work with, uh, qualify for the Arnold when they really want to do it. And, uh, you know, I've done the Arnold before one, but even if I had it, it's like, you know, it would just feel selfish to me to be like, well, I'm going to compete too. Um, I would rather go there and stay there with them and take care of each one of them individually and make sure that like their first Arnold experience is like the best that it could possibly be. Um, and, you know, I, this question has come up in other conversations before and like, I'm going to, for as long as I possibly can do everything I can to, to always be a, you know, coach and a competitor, uh, and not necessarily have to, you know, play favorites between the two, obviously in that case, that is something like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I can go to the Arnold and put up that, that total, or I can go to the Arnold and help my people and then compete at some, you know, random local meet and put up the same total, um, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while some people may argue the legitimacy, of you know my total being there instead of the Arnold or whatever that's fine they can argue that it's not something that matters a whole lot to me like nationals is the big meet every year Mm -hmm. and like that's kind of where you know I kind of go all in and I put you know kind of put my chips in there yeah well people will always question legitimacy of numbers in the sport no matter what no matter what I mean you if if you do an APF meet, they're going to tell you to do a USAPL meet. If you do a USAPL meet, they're going to tell you to do nationals. And if you don't, if you do nationals, they're going to tell you to do IPF worlds, even though you might not be able to do that. So, yeah, it's, yeah, and and yeah, and I that that's refreshing to hear that. And I see this a lot with other coaches where I want to do the Arnold specifically because I've never done it before. 
and but if I had that and that experience, but if I also was caring for lifters, I'd probably be less less inclined to do the Arnold and more of a local meet if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, I was actually just I was at the you know gym. I got home like probably a half hour before we hopped on here, uh, and there was a, a guy there uh, who was asking me about like my next meet and the Arnold and blah blah blah. And basically, I was just like, you know, man, like I've done the Arnold before. It was really fun. It was great. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know. I see the way that qualifying for the Arnold fires certain people up mm-hmm. and that doesn't do it for me. Like that, it doesn't excite me that much. And the fact that like, and that's, you know, not just me trying to be like, oh, I'm so much better than that or anything like that. You know, I, I, I'm not like a crazy excitable person in a lot of cases um, with anything really. So my point here is like, you know, those slots are limited. Even if I didn't have any athletes that were competing there, mm-hmm. those slots are limited, you know, like there's whatever, 50 people or 60 people that get to sign up for it. I don't want to take away the very excitable experience for another person who, you know, maybe qualifies for the first time. This is what they've been working for for years or whatever. And, you know, I don't want to be the guy who fills in that slot and is just like, whatever. And then have, you know, however many other people that like would probably be so much more appreciative of it being, you know, being able to make that slot had I not stepped into it, right? Yeah, and that's very admirable, and I thank you because I am one of those people. So <laughs> hopefully hopefully you just freed up a slot for me because I already fucked up my first chance. So hopefully yeah, I can get you on a second one. So, well, this is a perfect segue. I might as well get this out now because if you've been on social media, this is going to air Wednesday, so people still might be talking about it. You just mentioned qualifying total for the Arnold and qualifying for the Arnold What's your opinion on this new qualifying total for Raw Nats? Is it as big as a deal as people are making it out to be? And and as all, have you ever have you seen anyone complain about it? Yeah, I have. You all right? So I I just haven't yet, and maybe I'm just surrounding myself like with two little lifters. So what do you think about it? I mean, first I think it's great. I think mm-hmm. you know the. I was talking to somebody about this, so I'm going to kind of spill my thoughts on it. Um, you know, I was talking about it earlier. You know, the for for the last couple of years, like, Nationals has exploded over mm-hmm. pretty much, I think, the first year that it was like, like, holy shit, there's this many, there's so many people here, was, I think it was 2015. Um, and that was the first year that I competed. I know it was the first year that a lot of people competed in Nationals. So, I can tell, I can say from experience that the barrier for entry to being able to call yourself a national level athlete is it was low it was really low mm-hmm. um and i think that that's kind of skewed the the ideology for power lifters on like what being a national level athlete actually is it's like it's you can't quantify it obviously but you know when there's 1300 people at nationals it's really hard to feel like you know, you did this amazing thing by getting there, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're number one or you're like, you know, maybe I can't speak for people who, you know, aren't me, obviously. But the way that I feel about it is like, I think it's good. It's going to bring more prestige to nationals. Um, You know, I'm sure just like, you know, a ton of people are going to qualify, if not like the same amount of people that did qualify this past year, just because like they raised them a lot last year and people, you know, we ended up having the biggest run nationals that has ever, ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think the barrier for entry has always been really low. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously USAPL is doing what they can to, to make that feel more prestigious within reason. And I think that they're, you know, using good logic to, to figure out what those qualifying totals are now going to be. But I think that this 
you know, lends more opportunity to make other meets more prestigious, right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody really like regionals at the end of the day is kind of a glorified local meet. Yeah. It's cool now that they're doing the battle of the regions at the Arnold. They're they're making it so that the winners of all the weight classes from every region goes and, and battles against each other at the Arnold. I think that's pretty cool. I think this past year was the first year that that happened, if I'm not mistaken. So they're definitely doing their best to like, or I don't want to say their best, but they're definitely doing stuff to try to make things like regionals more prestigious. But like I said, it's, it's really hard to feel like anything outside of collegiate nationals is anything more than like a glorified local meet. So I think if you start, you make nationals a really, um, like a much higher to compete at, um, you know, meet, and then make the other meets that happen, like regionals and stuff like that, uh, a bit more rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's moving on to more meets or whatever, then I think that that's probably going to do do more for like just every you know all the lifters who compete, uh, even going into like meet directors and stuff because now they get to you know um, you know host these bigger meets that have more prestige and and are going to bring more people out and now you know that can help fund this you know fund the federation and the sport more and fund the people who you know uh, go out of their their way to host these meets and stuff like that i just don't see why um it can't be a good idea uh, as long as it's carried out correctly yeah and i for one do think it is a great idea and i also saw that the arnold with the battle of the regions and i think that's a fantastic idea and i agree usapl should have more meets that are not just the Arnold and Ron Nats, because those, those are only real two meets with any sort of prestige that are attached yeah. to it. And I think if you get more of, similar to what USPA does, where they're the almost opposite, their national meet is not necessarily the big one. It's the invite-only meets. Those yeah. are the big ones that people tune into and want to compete at. I think if USAPL kind of adopts a little bit of that, I think it'll only help the Federation. But... What you said about just it was a low-level entry to be a national qualified competitor. I always go through the awkward conversation at work or with family members like, oh, you're doing your lifting still? Uh, what's your next competitions? And I say, like, USAPL Nationals. Like, oh, Nationals, so you're so you're really good. So you're, like, one of the best. I'm like, eh, well, I'm like, most people could qualify for Nationals who've been powerlifting for, like, two or three years. They're like, hey know oh you're going to nationals you must be really good and you're like how much time do you have so, yeah like, I, and i always just like nod my head and try to find like food or something or like sure. let's let's talk about something else that's not this because you're not gonna understand what i'm about to say but yeah, yeah and it's and it, it it is that thing because it lacks prestige making it to raw nationals because i knew once i made raw nationals like i could have gone three for nine of my meat yeah. hit my openers qualified and then you know the, the goal there was to have my best performance at nationals, not to qualify for that. And I, it would bring some prestige to that. And I, and I think, cause I've kind of seen people complain. I don't know about complain more, just, just saying they're, they're disappointed that it's going to, you know, probably knock them out of this year's raw nationals that they have to maybe wait for next year. And I could kind of understand the disappointment, but it's, you got to think about why you're competing. Are you competing to go to Raw Nationals to test yourself against the very best? Because if you're barely qualifying for this Raw Nationals, you're not really competing with the very best. Yeah, I think that that's really a, a pretty massive point. And uh, this is something that I've, I've talked about a lot of times. Um, I see so many like newer lifters that are like, let's just say you have a guy who's 200 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, right? 
and he's like, I'm going to cut to 83 because then I can qualify for nationals. I'm like, you've got this all mixed up, pal. Like, <laughs> if you have to do that to qualify for nationals, personally, I don't think it's worth going. Yeah. Unless, you know, like they're doing now, if nationals becomes a top 20, top 30 event, then sure, go after it because that that would be pretty cool. Like, you get yeah. to be, in the, you're in the mix, right? But when it's like, yeah, dude, like, there's, you know, 267 lifters in my weight class, I'm like, I'm going to just make it. I'm, you know, and then not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but at the same time, to be, like, upset or, like, really bothered when, like, okay, now we're raising the totals, we're making it more prestigious. I think that the disappointment initially is somewhat justified. Like, I can understand being, Mm -hmm. like, a little bit bummed out, but... You know, your your disappointment, I think, should be short-lived, uh, followed by um, a excessive desire to get better. Yeah, and and I and I made this point because I mean my you know my DMs kind of blew up today. I was talking to a lot of people about this because I I just made a a post about it to see what people's opinions were, and it's. It's are you going to Raw Nationals because of the event and you just want to compete there, but also just be around the event of Raw Nationals. And I've experienced it for the first time. I w- I had a blast. I thought it was really yeah. fun. It was cool hanging out with a bunch of people that I looked up to, that I admired, that I love watching, um, just their progress in the sports. And it was cool just being around them and hanging out and also competing alongside with them. But you can still do that and not compete. You could just turn this into the Olympia. You could turn this into the Arnold where it's super exclusive. Not many people get into the, I mean, very like 0.1% get into the Olympia 0.1% are the top 10 of powerlifters or top five of powerlifters. If you make it somewhat of that event, then I still think it draws an interest. You can still go, you can still meet your favorite powerlifters. You just won't be competing. And you're yeah. in, and really, if you're getting out totaled by 300 pounds, you're not really competing with them. Yeah, you're... I agree. It's it, it, it just feels like uh, if if that's your case, it's probably it, like I would look at that as like an exciting local meet or mm-hmm. something. Um, and I was actually talking to a girl that I coach a little bit earlier because she posted about it, saying like, "Are people actually like how can you really be upset about this if like you're you know." barely qualifying right like why would you want uh why would you be upset about something like the bar being raised for something that's extremely low mm-hmm. right and uh i kind of was like i really agree with this and then she said um you know some of the responses i've got are kind of endearing like you know c- certain people are saying like i really just want to be able you know like it inspires me to be able to compete on the same platform or same stage or whatever you want to call it as so and so and i'm like yeah i can kind of get behind mm-hmm. that but at, you know at the end of the day someone's uh you know a, a certain group of people's emotion uh, about that shouldn't obviously outweigh like the objective objective like statistics that kind of you know need should be met at a national level event yeah and i and i do i mean as long as you're not obnoxiously complaining about it i'm totally fine with it and i haven't seen that the, the responses i've been getting for people who are upset are totally understandable they had a goal they had a goal in mind this is what i need to qualify and that goal just got pushed up yeah i don't care who you are you could be a a a fierce competitor that would piss you off just a little bit like all right now i gotta fucking do this now i mean but that's the important part yeah you just said you know yeah You, you the goal just got higher the bar just got raised and you have to go after that but i mean i i think any competitor would be just a little bit 
disappointed in it. Not necessarily like, this is fucking bullshit, USAPL sucks. I haven't seen any people complain about that part. Yeah, I don't know if I've really seen that. I've just seen, like, like I said, like, my view on it is, like, very short-lived disappointment followed by a, you know, like I said, an excessive desire to really get better and, like, mm-hmm. now meet the meet the new standard and, and be part of that new standard. Um, I guess in my head, I'm just like, if your disappointment was extremely short-lived, mm-hmm. or, like, if, like, I, you know, again, like, I think that it should be. Yeah. I don't even think it's worth making an Instagram post about or something. And yeah. then I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a, at heart, I'm just like a jaded, like old man um, that's got like RPS, like running through his soul. <laughs> I'm just like, shut the fuck up. But like, um, you know, that's just kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, like I, I just already imagine JP Carroll or someone like that just going, "Oh, these fucking dorks don't care about their or, or care about they don't get into nationals." So that was our first headline grab. I'm gonna go into some more headline grabs. I'm gonna call this segment headline grab. Um, so as a coach, what is the most frustrating thing you see other coaches do? Oh man, this is uh, I could go on and on with these these kind of questions. I think because, um, like I said, I'm I'm very like I'm very jaded, and I I think many coaches need to hold themselves to a, a much higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, one that comes to my head that I've seen recently is coaches who like really talk down to like other, like to the people that they coach. Like um, it seems to have happened a lot with like women asking questions saying like, Hey, this doesn't feel good or I'm not enjoying this. I saw a post about it the other day um, and the coach just kind of being like, just like, trust me, trust the process. This is why I'm a coach. And like, that process ending up being kind of like horrible. So not really listening to, um, you know, the, the athletes in like intuition or their input. I think that coaching should be a very, to a certain extent, like, especially the more experienced the lifter is, it should become kind of, you know, fairly collaborative, mm-hmm. uh, as at least as collaborative as the athlete wants it to be. And, uh, you know, I don't think that like things like that should just be like kind of shot down, uh, for the sake of being like, well, I'm the coach, um, and, and stuff like that. But I mean, I just see a ton of stuff that really bothers me. Like, you know, lifters that are just constantly hurting, um, you know, that don't really seem to get anything changed or managed or anything like that. Uh, you know, a a big population of the people that have, have come to me have worked with coaches in the past to, you know, kind of ignored those kind of things or were just very uncommunicative um it didn't really you know do their part to kind of manage that kind of stuff so you know i guess i just take my my job very seriously and i love it and i love being able to help people so it it just frustrates me when i see stuff like that yeah so in the sport right now would you say there's more good coaches and bad coaches no all right so and and you know i i've I think I'd spread some false information on the sport because I do agree that there are a ton of bad coaches out there, but I think that powerlifting has a, a long list of excellent coaches that you can go to. And I guess I don't, do you think you see the bad coaches more because you're a coach or I don't see it because I'm never going to hear the bad coaches because they're never going to get like high profile athletes. That's a good question. I mean, uh, I think probably most of it comes from the fact that I am a coach, like, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing, you know, I'm obviously not going to name drop, name drop, but like I've, I've acquired multiple different, you know, uh, people who are inquiring with me about coaching 
that have been from the same coaches. Um, okay. You know, there's a couple that come to mind where it's like I've gotten a handful of people who come to me from one coach with pretty much all the same complaints. Um, and, you know, this has happened on more than one occasion with more than one person. So that's definitely a big, a big way that I see it. Um, obviously just like talking to a lot of people being from the area that I was originally from in New York, like powerlifting is very big, uh, to a certain extent, there's a good amount of powerlifting gyms. A lot of, everybody's got a coach. So everybody's talking about their coach, uh, and the stuff they got them doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just outside of like maybe disagreeing with like certain methodologies that coaches have or whatever, the, my biggest gripes come with like, you know, lack of communication, uh, both just communication or communication skills, um, you know, just kind of ignoring, you know, athletes and, and, and the things that they're kind of talking about and whatever, because at the end of the day, like, I think it's really important to remember that as a coach, you are the person who's getting paid. Like you mm-hmm. are, you know, to, I mean, you can think of it as like, you are the employee, right? Mm-hmm. You are the, you are the one providing a service. So you shouldn't view coaching as like, I, I run the show. Like I'm calling the shots mm-hmm. to a certain extent. That's why someone's hiring you. But at the end of the day, like there's no reason that someone should pay you 150 bucks a month to just get mistreated by you or something like that. Um, and I see that with so many people. Uh, and you know, that's, you know, that's probably where it comes from mostly. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And that's probably, it's, it's very similar to just uh, me being around like certain athletes who are better than me. And just figuring, like, oh, what they're all doing is great. But once you're that, like, top athlete, very similar to a coach, you can start seeing the flaws and how there's there's levels to there's levels to being good. Yeah, like, I'll always recognize that, you know, I may be a better coach on paper, right, just from, like, we'll talk about, you know, movement analysis and programming and all that stuff. Like, I'm not not accepting of somebody who's you know i may not view as as good as me as a coach because maybe they don't have the same experience as i do um and maybe they'll be better than me someday right Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't judge anybody necessarily for that but uh when it's either that to like a really irresponsible degree uh you know degree like where they're charging a lot of money when they probably have no business charging any money Mm -hmm. and honestly i think it, it really bugs me because i think a lot of these people that do this are people who recognize like their their reach and are just like i can make a quick buck off this like mm-hmm. I, I don't have a fucking job right now so uh you know dm me for coaching right um and you know yeah. athletes that are you know solid competitors now can just you know open their doors as a coach all they have to do is like you know um create a venmo account or a paypal account and now suddenly they are a coach and people who may not know is, you know, know about the stuff or the experiences that I'm talking about, you know, speaking on athletes, you know, they, a lot of times they'll just think that the lifter that they really look up to as a competitor is probably just as good as a, as a coach. And, uh, many times I couldn't be any further from the truth. You know, you have to think that powerlifting to a certain degree is a very selfish sport. We're not, you know, we're doing it by ourselves. We're doing it for ourselves, right? We're not, we don't have a team, any of this stuff. So, it's it's not so far fetched to me that somebody could get really good at powerlifting, and also um, you know, not be a very uh, giving coach. I guess because, like I said, it's it's very it's a selfish thing to be a great competitor, and it's a very um, you know, 
like I guess giving is the best word I can think of to be a great coach. Yeah, and you've you mentioned the great competitor becoming a coach, and all you yeah. really need to do is create a PayPal or Venmo, and you get that. And we say that a lot, just as a joke around powerlifting that so and so person is popular therefore they're going to get they're going to get clients and they're going to give coaching out that's kind of how it goes and happens a lot in bodybuilding too is that is that overblown or is that or is the exaggeration a perfect exaggeration of the trajectory of people getting into coaching from competing i mean i think it's pretty spot on like i would just say to anyone who's listening who isn't a top-level competitor or doesn't have a ton of followers, I would encourage you to go to your following list on Instagram and click on every competitor that you follow and just see how many have, like, DM for online coaching, like, in their bio. And you can probably get a pretty good idea of it. Um, people you've heard of, people you've never heard of, they probably all got it. Um, and like I said, like, while I am kind of, you know, complaining and saying that, you know, this stuff really bothers me just because I, I really care about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, at the end of the day, like I, I don't really lose much sleep over it because I know that the market's going to end up working itself out. Um, and if somebody is as bad as I think they are, you know, chances are that ship is going to, it's probably going to sail at some point. Um, it's just kind of, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. Yeah. And it is something that's justified to be annoyed with because you are, going to start messing with someone's financials yep. if that's the case. And in this sport, I mean, there's not a whole lot of money that goes around. Hell, it costs way more money to be a top-level competitor than, you know, I mean, you don't get anything for winning, really. So yes. all of it is just based on you and as a competitor. So if you're deciding to put your money in for coaching, you should get something good in return. And, and yeah, and that's it's at a weird – I'm at a weird, like, point with – what I see in powerlifting because it's, I don't think some coaches mean any harm. There are, there are some who I just think are dumbasses, who I think they're dumbasses and just mean. And it's, it's mostly, you know, them posting stuff on their stories about their clients and all that kind of stuff. And just doing, doing way more than a coach should probably be doing or doing way less. It's, there's really like never in between. And do they mean harm by it? Are they trying to get money out of this? Are they trying to con people? Or are they just really misguided? And it's just dumb and just stupid. So I, I mean, it's probably a good mix of of all of it. Like, it, it is hard for me, like, when I actually think about it, to look at certain people that come to mind with the, the kind of crowd that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, And I can, on the surface, get really, like, annoyed at their actions. But at the same time, like, it is sometimes hard for me to look at that person and be like, man, this person is just, just a fucking bad person. Like, mm-hmm. they know exactly what they're doing. Because um, I do think a lot of times people, you know, they probably they probably just get themselves in too deep. Like, they think on the surface, like, because on the surface, like, powerlifting coaching is fairly, like, um, it's simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's not anything crazy, but, like, simple doesn't mean easy. You know, it's... There's a lot of minutia that goes into it, especially the stronger certain competitors get, the more time you spend with a person, the longer a person's training career, all this kind of stuff, right? So I could definitely see, like, some, uh, you know, people that are doing this kind of thing thinking that it'll be, like, kind of easy, uh, which is misguided, I think, mm-hmm. and then picking up people and 
now they're just like it's hard to be like yeah i'm not equipped to like do what you you're asking of me so then they try to like you know figure it out along the way when like you know they lifters run into the you know whatever you know handful of problems that a lifter's going to run into it's 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 hard it's a, a very big ego check to be like i can't I can't help you with this problem. You have to talk to somebody else or you need a different coach or something like that. Right. Mm. And I think the coaches who can do that, they're probably some of the better coaches um, because they recognize their worth and what they can do, but they also just as importantly, if not more important, recognize what they're not capable of. Yep. Absolutely. So on the flip side of that, what are some frustratings you see, not your athletes in particular, but just athletes in general do while they're under coaching? Great question as well. Um, Thank you. Something that is a, a bit frustrating sometimes is like seeing like coaching costs money, right? And mm-hmm. like you have to pay for this coaching. And a competitor will say like, you know, I'm getting this coach. I'm willing to fucking, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do the fucking best, right? And then they don't do that stuff. And then they get like annoyed at when like their lack of say progress, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just like, man, like not are you like not only are you wasting your own time, you're wasting the coach's time, you're wasting your own money, and your own time and your money are the most important thing because like coaching is business, and like if a coach is getting money and like is doing their best job that they can with you, then there's there's not a whole lot more that they can do about it, right? Yeah. But it's on the athlete to make sure they have all that other stuff in check, and I would urge many people to like stop eating mcdonald's every day before they hire a coach like you know figure out the shit that's like the the big rocks in your bucket right like you know the small minutiae of your programming probably aren't going to you know in the total totality of your your training career probably aren't going to add up to you know what more could happen right now if you like actually slept the way you're supposed to manage your stress the way you're supposed to ate the way you're supposed to right yeah and I'm talking more long-term stuff. Like, you do that right now, you're probably going to be better in a month, in two months, in three months. Yeah. Maybe with a coach, you'll still get a little bit better. But if that shit never gets fixed, like, you're, you know, you're paying a lot of money to this coach for an entire, you know, uh, I guess, like, umbrella of just kind of, like, suboptimal progression, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. I. It's fuss. It's. It's funny to see athletes kind of go with their this notion that a coaching that a coach should fix everything for them, and I and I want to ask you this: Do you think that powerlifters should do a good of good amount of figuring out things for themselves before they get a coach? I think so. I think like there are too many people who have coaches who have never done starting strength or like mm-hmm. something like that, you know. Um, and, you know, we can argue the, the, you know, legitimacy of a certain program or this or that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, I do think that, like, lifters should learn to figure shit out. Because a lot of times when a brand new lifter hires a coach, uh, like a full-time powerlifting coach, they don't have to learn anything. And now the, they have to be, like, coddled and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, pampered almost and, and kind of, like, just be fed all of this stuff that like they probably 
could have learned for themselves, which would probably have been a better learning experience than someone teaching it to you. Yeah. Uh, if they had not like immediately hired a coach, um, there's, you know, there's been times where I've had people who hit me up that are like, yeah, I'm brand new to powerlifting. I want to start powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll say like, okay, like what are your, you know, just real quick, like what's your maxes? How long you've been training? Blah, blah, blah. And then they tell me, and I'm like, you need to read starting strength and like, you know, do that for a year. And, if you're not happy, then hit me up um, because it's just not needed. Um, you know, there's there's people who probably do need a coach more than that. And, you know, like I said, that person's going to learn a lot of stuff along the way to, to, to make them, you know, a very solid lifter. And, you know, I guess that's kind of just where, where my head is at on that. You were just saying, you said something just a, a few minutes ago that really um, resonated with me, but now I'm, now I'm blanking on what it was. Uh, basically, when you were responding to what I said, um, yeah, I can't remember. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll make sure I interrupt you. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and what you just said, I, I think it's a, it's a dying art, people figuring out things for themselves. And this is, this is what the sport used to be. You had to figure out things for yourself, and eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to have other people you can consult with. But I see way too many lifters not willing to – and those are fun times too. Those are some really fun times and real – it's a good time in the sport and your progress when you're just starting out and figuring out things for yourself and seeing what work what works and what doesn't work. And that will help you in the long run. Trial and error, failing and fucking up a lot of things will help you in the long run. I think a lot of a lot of lifters again just want coaches to fix everything for them and become a really good competitor really, really quick. Yeah, there's definitely like you know, there is a learning curve to, you know, being a competitor that like nobody else can really teach you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that if you don't spend that time doing your own stuff for a little while, um, or at least getting some consultation, but being left to your own devices for, for better or for worse, like there's probably going to be a part of like your, you know, maybe talent or intuition or whatever, as a lifter, that's going to put a damper on like the total amount of progress that you can make in your training timeline. Some of the best, like I, it's, it's so like, you know, nostalgic to think about some of the best like times of like just my life in general. Uh, I worked at like a, a deli when I was, um, uh, I was probably in like 10th grade. I worked at a deli, like maybe like a, a mile or two away from my house. And I used to ride my bike to go there in the morning and like work for however many hours all day. And then I would get on my bike and ride like, you know, um, however many miles in the other direction to go to the gym. And I would just work out for like three hours with the, the, the program that I wrote for myself. Mm -hmm. Just trying to figure shit out and like hitting, hitting PRs, hitting 225 for five or whatever, right? And like I didn't work with a coach for uh, a, a long while. And, um, you know, while I don't think there's any sort of like number that you need to hit before you, you know, end up working with a coach like – um, I very, I think it's, I very rarely see people like going as far and I can only say me. And again, this sounds very, uh, like conceited, but I don't want it to come off that way at all. You're I fine. see very few people like taking their own training as far as like, say I did mm -hmm. before hiring a coach. Right. Yeah. Like, I think I was like, I think I was reasonably strong for a 10th grader before I was like, yeah, I need, I'm going to get a coach. And even when I finally hired a coach, which was Sean Noriega, I was in, I was incredibly hesitant. Like it was my friend who like pushed me into doing it, and it ended up being a great decision. But like there was like a week where I was like, I'm not fucking hiring this guy. I don't know this guy. Like I'm not doing it. 
Um, so yeah, I think that that's uh, really important, and it'll probably like leave some long lasting memories if, uh, at the very least, you know. Yeah, and I I miss those early days of me just getting into competing. I I really do miss going to a commercial. I there's part of me that wants those days back, where I'm just in a commercial gym. I'm running PH3, which I mean I've run it until my very last meet, but. Yeah. You know, but the, when I first started running it, it was fun. It was exciting. It was cool to see the numbers I was doing. It was cool to just sign up for your first meet and see what you can do. See if this programming thing actually works. And seeing these principles that I had no idea existed. I have no idea if they work. You know, it's like I'm I'm not I'm gonna hit a one rep max in the competition. I've never hit it before in my life, and I yeah. I haven't hit a heavy single in uh in this entire program. Is this really gonna work? And it did work, and it was just a cool, elated feeling. Like, oh, this is what I can do with it now. This is, you know, we can. I could push myself um, into my next prep as well. And yeah, those days are fun. I think a lot of lifters do one competition. And they're like, all right, boom, want to be Instagram famous, want to have a YouTube channel, and got to get a coach. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. I think that you know, like you said, social media has been amazing for a lot of aspects of powerlifting, but there's also some parts about it that like make me want to jump off my roof like um and that being one of them just like you know it it feels like a lot of people could you know compete and do this kind of stuff for like the the clout and uh one of my like favorite questions like you know theoretical i guess hypothetical questions is like if like instagram died tomorrow there was no there was no um like uh social media or anything like that and you know we can even just leave it at that. There was no social media, and you had to train into in your garage or your basement every single day for the rest of your life. Would you still do what you do? Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, there's certain people who can, like, very confidently be like, no. And, like, I can appreciate them telling me that. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who would, like, lie to themselves and say, like, yeah, for sure. I would absolutely do it. And I'm like, well, you probably wouldn't work as hard if there was nobody watching, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And we, I think we bought that up on the show before because – there is a level of clout that goes along with powerlifting and fitness in general. And I, I, I had a firsthand glimpse of that at Raw Nationals, that 99% of the people there were awesome, just passionate about the sport, competitive. You know, they had that competitive edge about them, but there was other people who were just there for an Instagram picture. Who yeah, were just there to put on their story that they were there. That they were, like, trying to, like, oh, who's going to – Who's going to go out to this spot tonight so maybe I can get a drink with them or something? Like, fuck, man. It's like, dude, if you're going to be a groupie, please be a groupie of an actual good sport. Yeah. I bet <laughs> all those people were wearing, like, headbands or some shit. Like, <laughs> like at least be, like, like, try to find a professional baseball player or something. Not a powerlifter where no one knows exactly. Like, no one cares who you're hanging around with a group of powerlifters. Yeah, right. No, you, you, can't, you can't write home to mom about that. So. Yeah, I think about this all the time. Like, I, I've only ever went up to one person and asked them for a picture before, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't even like for me. The thing I see is like I, I go to nationals or something, and I see like whether it's someone I would like to talk to or someone that I could give a shit less about. People who have that kind of following, like I see so many people being like, "Yo, dude, yo, dude, like let me let me do this with you. Let me get a picture. Of, you know, uh, let's flex in this photo or something." Um, and I'm just like, man, like, even if I do really want to talk to this guy, there is no shot in hell. I'm going to fucking bother him right now. And like, yeah. like, you know, even if my conversation is totally different than the ones that these guys are having, I don't even want to bother the dude. Um, 
and you know, I just I see that stuff like you know all the time, and kind of always think that it's just it's it's just funny to me, like seeing people like really really do that and uh, realizing that like or not realizing that like they're just kind of another person who like lifts lifts weights, like, mm-hmm. and we're all doing the same shit. Yeah, I, I. The asking for pictures is one thing that I'm not crazy about. Um, I did I did occasionally for like people who are on Two White Lights. I really wanted to think that for coming on Two White Lights, take a picture with them so I could put on the website or something. But like I was, I love John Hack. I really and Ed Cohen. Like I really do. I'm at like a loss of words when I kind of see them because I really have nothing to say to them aside that they're amazing. Yeah right. And it's just and I was looking at John. I was seriously like four feet away from him. I was looking at him. And I just realized I was staring at him for like thirty seconds, and I'm like, I'm not gonna say hi now. This is dumb. Walk up like, Ed Cohen and that's why I said that. And that's why I seriously said that, Cohen. I was like, Hey, I'm Angelo. Um, I think you're amazing, man. And I just walked away. <laughs> like yeah, I had nothing else interesting to say. You walk up to him and you're like, You're really strong. Like, hey, you're, you know, um, you're really yeah, cool. That kind of actually, I, I forgot the first part of what I was saying before, where I said I've only ever asked one person for a picture before, uh, and it ended up being the worst experience of my life. Um, one of the worst, I shouldn't exaggerate, but uh, <laughs> basically, uh, I competed at Worlds as a sub-junior in 2016, and they had uh, Bill Kazmaier, um doing live stream uh, commentary with uh, two other people who were who were fantastic, you know, at the lot, like commentating, right. They did a really great job. And, um, basically like I compete, I'm not like on social media. Like I didn't, I didn't get the chance to listen to the commentary. Um, and like I call my mom after I compete and she's like, Oh my God, they were talking amazing about you on, on the, um, the, the live uh, stream. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm walking around. I see Bill Kazmaier and I was like, you know what? My mom would probably really appreciate it if I got a picture with this guy. Right. So I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, man, my mom loves the live stream commentary. I think she would love it if I got a picture with you. And he was like, sure thing, but first, your bench, it's too wide. You need to bring it in. You need to be a piston like me. Boom, 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 and starts doing all this crazy shit. And I was like, dude, I regret being born right now. Like, I I wish I was never born. Um, And then later on, like, I go on Facebook, and I'm, like, tagged like, a million, like, posts, and... Bill Kazmaier straight up called me Frell on the live commentary, like, on the live stream. Like, he was like, yeah, you know, uh, visually very unimpressive, but, like, oh you know, he's a, he's a solid lifter. He'll be really great one day. Um, so Bill Kazmaier just, like, spent his day fucking roasting me. Uh, and, like, I asked him for a picture unknowing, and he just roasted me again. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, that, I mean, that's actually kind of a cool experience, though. In, in my oh, opinion, dude, at least. Traumatized, bro. Yeah, but, I mean... You could kind of look back on that and be like, that was a pretty funny situation, and I don't know. That is that is a pretty funny story, though. Oh, it's hilarious. I mean, looking back, like, not was I, like, upset. I was like, damn, like, why did he have to, like, like, I know I'm frail. I'm 18. Like, you didn't have to roast me like that, though. <laughs> yeah. Now I can look back and think it's funny. Yeah, you're a teen, so I don't know what the fuck he's, a natty teen, too. So I don't know yeah. what the hell that he's, ex- dudes, I don't know what he's expecting like, to see. The other dudes were like, oh, like, world record sub-junior total, like, trying to get, like, amped up over the live stream. And Bill Kazmaier's like, do you know how many times I've done 315 in training? <laughs> they're, like, they're like, Bill, he's walking out like a world record squad. He's like 34 times. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, they called me Angelino on the fucking live stream, so that's just poor reading. 
yeah, that's that's pretty rough. There's this one kid from New York. Uh, his name is Winston Tom, right? And um, every time he competes, they just think his name is flipped around. So they're always like Tom Winston getting on the platform. I'm like, that's not his fucking name, man. Like, yeah, I don't. It's very easy to read that stuff. You know, he didn't screw it up. I was listening to the live stream. Like, are they just are they saying Angelino to fuck with me? And then, because um, I'm like, there's no I or N in my name. Like, we're, or uh, there's Angelo, not Angelino. You're throwing on, like, three extra letters unnecessarily. Yeah, but I mean. I was just I so confused when I was listening to it, and when people were like, they keep on calling you Angelino. I'm like, people used to call me that as a joke when I was a kid, but I don't know. Gotta give it to the guys commentating for, like, four different platforms. It's a, you know what? It's a tough job, but that is a job that I think think usapl has got a better i think they could easily find a person who i don't even know if you need, really need to pay i i yeah, you could probably just find like some really passionate dude in the power lifting and be like we'll oh, I, we'll give you we'll feed you for the day if you do this like oh, dude i will I, and i'm saying this right now on the podcast i will do one day of it if they just give me free drinks there you go if they give me free drinks for the entire day i will commentate the entire fucking day for them Every single and I and I'll do it. Or if you're gonna double up, like if I compete and then I want something to do throughout the day, I'll do that. Cause I, I hope they take you up on that, man. Yeah, and I don't think they will because I it just it's I and I think me and Candido were talking about it. Another shameless name drop, but um, we were talking about this like how it's kind of vanilla the prime time commentating and just the commentating in general. It's like you can make that pretty fun and. I think you can find just a passionate lifter to talk about it and have fun with it too. And that's, that's what I'm doing at competitions, right? I'm looking at competitors. I'm seeing what they're doing and I'm offering commentary. And I think a lot of people are doing that in general. They just, I don't know who exactly they get to do that. Yeah. I mean, I also think like Gino is amazing, but I think they just run that dude way too thin. Like dude, imagine being that guy for like five days straight for like 14 hours a day. Like, and then like when he's not, you know, maybe on like as 100 as he always is, like people are like, Gino really sucks, bro. I'm like, he's been like awake for like 36 hours. Like, <laughs> me and me and uh, me and my friend, uh, me and Carson Allen actually, we're we were discussing this with his girlfriend, uh, Abby, of like we were just looking at Gino, and one I was just thinking, like, wait, so I go into USAPL not really knowing a whole ton about it, but I knew Gino and. I just was like, oh, Gino, yeah, Gino's the, the MC. I'm like, why yeah. is he the MC? Why is he dressed like Captain Morgan? Why <laughs> does he have makeup on? It, like, does he power lift? What's going And then I was just thinking, like, wait, why is it such a socially accepted thing that Gino's going to do the MCing right now? And it's like, especially for USAPL, you would expect that guy to be like USPA. Yeah, I mean, it and, is definitely, uh, he definitely sticks out a little bit. I think Gino's great. Like, and I, and I love him. And I was, but I was just so. And then I just started. And then I, me and him just started having like all these different questions. Like, wait, what's his backstory? What's going on with him? It's like, and we looked at him. It's like, holy fuck, he looks tired as shit. How the hell is he doing this all day for four days of nationals? Yeah, you gotta give it to the guy, man. Um, I actually, I talked to him at a at a meet. Uh, we were like washing our hands in the bathroom next to each other, and he was like. I forgot. I was like, they must, I was like, they must pay you the big bucks for this, man. He was like, nope. Like they just fly me out and I'm like, you know, pay for my hotel and I'm here. And I'm like, man, you are you are the fucking man. Like you are at like every meet, like that I've been to. Like you're at every state championship. You are flying the world. You're doing this shit. You're doing that shit. Um, 
and you're just you're just crushing, man. They need to treat better. Um, but it is actually now I never even thought about it. Like he's in the he's in his getup, right? Which it stands out, and then like all the other USAPL officials are walking around and they're like. They're, they're, you know, fucking borderline tuxedos. <laughs> like, yeah, and he's and he's slamming drinks the entire time. Yeah, that was the first time I've seen that at Nationals. Um, but you know what? The guy deserved it, you know? Yeah, and that's what we were noticing. So, he, yeah, I, I gave him my flask. He drank out of my flask. I was noticing he was just pounding some Coronas, too, like, as was going on. I was like, this guy is so interesting to me, and I have just, like, so many more questions. <laughs> like, for, like, how, how exactly did this come to be? Uh, some people told me like a few things but i actually kind of want the mystery to always be there yeah you know I, i've heard things too like about like what he's done in the past and whatever i have no idea if they're accurate and i don't want to spill them because they might be inaccurate and also you may not actually want anybody to know that stuff yeah. but i think the mystery should always be there just be like you know gino was like a like he was the byproduct of like asexual reproduction or something <laughs> like you know or or he like he his pirate ship crashed and he got washed up in the shore and the only thing he could go to is a powerlifting gym that Ray Williams went to or something. Yeah, like fucking Elliot Feldman dragged him off the beach or something. <laughs> yeah, see the mystery can keep going. We can create. Yeah. We could choose our own adventure with Gino. All right, so we've been talking for well over an hour. Terrific interview, and we're gonna get to our segments. So, word association, the poorly titled word, word association, not really creative there. Give you a word, first word that comes to mind. All right, first, squat. Uh, deep knee bend. <laughs> deep knee bend, ooh, I like that. Knees knees traveling forward? Okay. On, on that one? Yeah, definitely traveling forward. All right, bench. Uh, I suck at it. I think I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to say one word, aren't I? No, no, it's actually fine because what happens is we start talking about it more. But all right, you could just say suck. Shit. Yeah. So bench suck. But I think I would say cliche because every powerlifter says that. Now one yeah. powerlifter I've had on the show says they have an awesome bench. Noriega barely even said it, and he's got a he's got the best bench. Well, here's the thing with me is like I feel like my you take my squat and my deadlift and like I can keep up with some of like, you know, we'll say like top 10, right? Yeah. I can keep up. And then just like what separates like me as like the 13th or whatever, the, whatever the hell I would be in the open, uh, you know, qualifications from like being in the top, like, you know, well, probably, you know, five, six, seven or whatever is like not being able to bench like 400 pounds. So mm -hmm. I just, uh, I despise myself for it. Yeah. And if you despise yourself for it, how do you think I feel? So <laughs> we're here. We're here. I'm here for you, man. Yeah. I mean, and that's it, every, every fucking pilot drive on the show. They say they hate bench that they suck at it. And then I look at their numbers like that's a pretty good bench. And I just, it's like a cliche thing. Powerlifters say that they suck at bench, but I say it all the time too, but I, mean, I really I do it. suck at bench. I, I love it. I, I enjoy it, but I'm just like, it's not that great at it. So maybe yeah. my, uh, my labor will be rewarded one day. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. That's, that's hope. That's hope. That's the case for all of us. All right. Yeah. So deadlift. Uh, okay, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Is that your? So if you're gonna qualify, like squat, bench, and deadlift, what will be your favorite lift? Uh, I'd probably say the squat. Okay. Common answer. Common answer. People say squat. People say deadlift. No one ever says bench. That's fair. USAPL. Trying. Trying in what way? 
They're trying their hardest, I think. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they try a little too hard. Yeah, I shouldn't say they're trying their hardest, but um, I know, think they, they, I think they are. I think they're trying their hardest, and they try way too hard. I think in the last year, like there has just been so much craziness that surrounded the USAPL mm-hmm. and so much back and forth that like it can't be easy to be someone who's got to answer all those questions uh, and you know be the one who's got to figure out what to say and, and figure out what to do. Um, you know whether or not you agree with like the decisions that they make. You know, you you, you got to hand it to to the, the you know the, the people that have to like just deal with uh, like the backlash and the the attacks yeah. and are on the the absolute receiving end of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So actually, the flip side to that, IPF. Uh, I don't know enough, honestly. I mean, I've been to one one event and uh, it was run well. Like I competed there. But, like, you don't really hear a whole lot of shit about the IPF. It's just kind of like they're just there. They're just doing their thing. Like, um, So, I don't know. I think it's – I'll say – let me go back to the word association. IPF, prestigious. Yeah, for sure. If you're, if you're just in IPF in general, you got some prestige to you. For sure. Lombard, Illinois. <laughs> uh, least favorite place on earth. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, uh, man, I, I'm – I grew up, you know, in Long Island, New York. It's a pretty populated residential place, uh, and I full of wanted... people who look like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I wanted to uh, get the fuck out, so I did. Uh, I live kind of like I live in Vermont. Like nobody really lives in Vermont. I don't uh-huh. know. If, I feel like everybody I talk to like doesn't know a person who lives there. Um, Population is very low. I love it that way. Like just kind of a much quieter way of living. So getting into like driving from Chicago to Lombard, I was like wow, like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> well, so, yeah, because um, I grew up, like, 15 minutes away from Lombard, and, yeah, populated, I would never say that about Lombard, Illinois. But then... I mean, Lom- Lombard just seems kind of like a residential sort of area. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a little maybe suburb. My gri- maybe my gripes are with more, like, Chicago than anything else. Oh, yeah. I can understand that, and I can understand why you wanted to get out of Long Island, because... I've been to that like area just for a day, and I fucking I fucking hate New York and New Jersey. Uh, I, I'm kind of there with you. I mean, upstate New York, there's like a couple nice little places, like, but it should it is not this. Like, I think that Long Island and and uh, like New York City should just like become their own state, mm-hmm. um, and like upstate New York should just chill out. Yeah, and I okay, I'm not gonna apologize for any of our New Jersey listeners. I would have no problem if you just weren't a part of America anymore. <laughs> I I just I think you guys should just just you know just drift away into the coast, like in the middle of Europe and America. Just be yeah, your just own be, little separate island because and I, and more specifically, New Jersey leading into the Bronx. God, yeah. that was a fucking nightmare. Do you know where in Long Island you were when you stayed there? No. Okay, because Long Island can be, uh, it's pretty vast, you know? Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was New York for like a weekend, and we went to a Yankees game, fuck Yankee Stadium on top of that. Sorry, Sean, uh, but fuck Yankee Stadium. Hate that place, hate the Bronx, hate New Jersey, and hate Long Island. I'm with you, bro. I, every time, like, uh, just real quick, funny story. Um, so, like, I will get up and drive four hours in any direction on an hour's notice, like, with no problem, 
you know, we'll, we'll drive like three hours north to like Burlington, Vermont, like on, like I said, like a half hour's notice. And I have no problem with yeah. it. I actually enjoy it. And then the second that anybody's like, hey, man, you want to come to Long Island for something? I'm like, oh, uh, man, listen, I got a lot of stuff going on. Like, I'm not going to swing that. Like, that- uh, and it's not even me like consciously doing it. It's just like my, I think my brain just being like, don't fucking do it, man. Don't do it. Like, yeah. No, I, I totally know what you feel on that. Because, so, because yeah, say there's a meet or somewhere, and um, a lot of USAPL meets are in BMW uh, gym in Chicago, and um, downtown Chicago, too. And I actually don't mind downtown Chicago. I like it, especially that area. Um, but if you were going to tell me, like, hey, there's a meet in Indianapolis. It's three hours away. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going there instead. Yeah. Right. And and I'll do that for and it's like there's a meet in Wisconsin like yep I'll do that but they say like hey come to Barbell Compound in Chicago to train or Rockwell I'll be like oh, fuck I'd rather I'd rather thri- drive three hours and Indianapolis is a city just not as annoying and as like congested as Chicago. Yeah, I was in uh, like the days following nationals. Uh, I went to. I don't know what like downtown or whatever part of Chicago, but it was like the the fucking heart of Chicago. Like, um, you know, just it almost looked like Times Square, like in New York. Um, and I remember driving through there and just being like, dude, I I want to get as far away from this place as I possibly can and never really never come back. Like, it's so nice here to like be able to drive fifty miles in mm-hmm. an hour, like. You yeah. know, and any anytime I go anywhere else that's, you know, like New York City, it's like, oh, I have to go to a location 3.2 miles away from here, but it's going to take me 49 minutes to get there. Like, that sounds absolutely terrible, and I'm not – I don't – I want no part of it. Yeah, that's why people take the train. Take the train yeah. everywhere, and that's – I mean, usually you shouldn't own a car, really, in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, everybody – I used to work at Burger Crow's Barbell in Brooklyn, New York, when I lived in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so weird to see, like, so many, like, 30-year-olds being like, yeah, I've never had a car. And I'm just like, it, the first instinct in my head is to be like, what happened to you? But then the second instinct, <laughs> but then the logic kicks in like, oh no, they don't need one. They got, they got buses and trains and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. that's you know, a, another thing I don't really want to be a part of anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Next word, coffee. Oh, dude, my fucking second love right there. I'm such a coffee snob, man. I'll use my word as snob. Yeah, and I, I love coffee too. Um... But I it's oh it's very I'm actually probably better with coffee than wine and beer. And I like wine and beer, but I think coffee I actually have a palate to now. Yeah, I mean most people like I don't drink at all like any alcohol. So I guess like coffee's my thing. Mm-hmm. But like I'm I've got like three different like pour over um you know, brewers that I have that all brew just a little bit differently, make things taste different. Um and I get all the different, you know, coffees across different regions and all this kind of stuff right um and like when i first tried i'm like man this is this is fruity and this has got this fucking accent to it and then if i have anybody else try it they're like yeah this is good coffee man <laughs> like but what's good about it and they're like it tastes fine like you know uh because most people are just like the 7-eleven like you know fucking sludge like uh you know dripper yeah i all right, so I'm going to ask you two questions then relating to coffee. One, give me your go-to brand or just any, like if I if if I'm going to order something or buy something, what should it be? Okay, so uh, there's the best place to buy from, like never buy from a store, like okay. a grocery store. 
because it's never going to be, you don't know how long it's been sitting there. Coffee is like an agricultural product, right? It can go stale uh, and never buy pre-ground coffee. Okay. Just as like another little heads up. But the best coffee that I've ever had is actually from a place here in Vermont that um, they ship, as far as I know, everywhere. Uh, they're a place called Brio Coffee Works out of Burlington, uh, Vermont. And they're, they kind, of, they kind of rotate through a lot of their stuff. How do you make your coffee? I, I French press it. French press? Yeah. So French press, usually like the better stuff that you're going to get is like your more like earthy kind of stuff that's going to be like your, you know, things that are like chocolate, caramel, blah, 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 like, you know, tasting kind of notes. So I would say go for like uh, like a Brazilian or um, what's the other one that I'm thinking of? Yeah, like Brazilian. You can go like Colombian, um, stuff like that. Basically anything that's not like super fruity is going to be the best in the French press. So uh, you kind of just have to check out their website. They always got like different kind of stuff rolling through. Uh, I really like like fruity stuff, like stuff that's got the florally fruity type, you know, notes to it. And those do really well with like pour over and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's usually what I roll with. But um, yeah, like, you know, that kind of stuff that I just mentioned is probably going to be like a good, you know, go to for you. So yeah, because I love coffee. And then the other thing is, um, do you, so do you ever get really annoyed when you see people with like Starbucks coffees and like with whipped cream inside it? No, I don't, I don't necessarily get annoyed. Like I might poke fun at like people that I'm like friends with just because they, they know I'm like an asshole about it. But, um, <laughs> like what I do. So, like I said, like I love getting fully immersed in the shit and like talking about it with people that know what they're talking about. And like, someone will be like, dude, I love coffee so much. And I'm like, Oh hell yeah, bro. Like, you know, where do you fucking order from? Like, where do you get your, like, you know, what roaster you go to or whatever. And they're just like, oh yeah. Like, um, you know, like the Starbucks, like Pike place, uh, you know, from stop and shop. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to shun you for a couple minutes right now. Yeah. And you know, cause I used to consider myself a coffee snob, but then like, and then I started meet, pe- meeting people who are actually in the coffee. I'm like, ah, no, nope. That's not me. Cause I'm like, yeah. I need coffee. So I'm going to the store and getting coffee because I yeah. fucking need it. It's it's pretty much drugs at this point. I need my coffee. That is essentially my pre-workout is coffee. So I need the stuff and I just can, can never. And I used to order occasionally, but then it got way too expensive. So I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to get some beans, grind them up. Luckily, my girlfriend owns a coffee shop. So that works. Well, that, that definitely works. I was going to say like pro tip for anybody listening is like, don't go to the grocery store. Go and check out, like, your local coffee shops because almost all of them are also roasters. And, like, um, you can literally look up a bag and, like, see how long ago they were roasted. And, like, if it was in the last week, you know it's going to be fresh. If it was three months ago, probably shouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. You go to the store, you have no idea how long that shit's been sitting there. You don't know what the conditions of, uh, of it were when it was, like, transported and whatever. You know, the most educational part of this, uh, you know, interview that you're going to get out of me <laughs> is about fucking coffee. Go figure. Yeah. And... I, you said as your second love. I think I got your the first love coming up. I might be wrong. Word association, Star Wars. Oh, dude, you you did your research. I try to be a journalist. I got. Uh, I have two Star Wars tattoos, so okay. um, I'm, a, I'm a big I'm a big fan. Yeah, um, Star Wars. I'm just gonna go with like childhood. Um, you know, that's what like I loved growing up. Lightsaber fights, all that sort of shit. When I was 18, like, I um, I got... Do you know... Are you, like, a Star Wars fan? I am not, and I always find it... Because I always poked fun at Star Wars fans. Like, yeah. I always found it just weird. I never got into the movies. I tried watching the movies. I'm like, yeah, it's not for me. 
And the same thing with, like, other things, like Harry Potter, that kind of stuff. But then I watched Game of Thrones, and then, and then everything made sense to me. They're like, yeah, oh, this is why people are fans of things. This makes you, sense. You found people, your shit, dude. Yeah, people dressing up like Star Wars characters totally makes sense to me because I got into a three-hour conversation about the storyline of season four and how to compare it to season six and how yes. it's all intertwined. And I'm like, yep, yeah, I, I get it now. I understand. I love all, like, I'm so, like, I'm, I'm a very much so a homebody. Um, and, like, I guess to... Well, I'm not going to say, like, our generation would refer to it, but, like, our parents' generation, like, would refer to me as, like, a nerd. Like, Mm -hmm. I fucking love lifting, but, like, you know, everything that I do outside of it is, like, you know, Star Wars, whether it's, like, reading the comics or, you know, watching a movie or getting excited about the next movie. Uh, Like, The Walking Dead, same thing. Like, I've read almost all the comics. Like, Mm -hmm. I love the TV show. Um, You know, I'm a big video game guy like i love playing video games so uh i'm definitely very into into this word association right now you started taking this in a very nice direction yeah um i try i try to do that i try to do that but we're gonna finish off with this one we're we're probably gonna get a little jaded here at the end most annoying things powerlifters say slash do oh my god man it would be so cliche if i just said like the um you know the the very like not the day i hope for uh Mm -hmm. sort of thing uh, going back to what I was talking about before with, 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 uh, you know, frustrating things to see as a coach is people who talk a big talk, but like, don't want to, you know, you know, back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, people who think that they're better than other, other people because they're like pretty good at like lifting or like they won some fucking competition or like some local meet or whatever. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on and on and on about this kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm so, so jaded. Uh, but now of course, when I'm thinking about it, I'm really having like a, a, a tough time, like remembering. Yeah. Um, and this happens a lot. This happens a lot when I ask this question that people really have to think because it's like picking between their children. They want to hate the right thing. Well, I, I mean, I'm just listing a bunch off cause I don't even know which one is, which is more annoying. I like despise like people who aren't great at the sport who are like gear whores like getting every mm. single new thing like dude you see the new SBD line like that shit's sick and i'm like why don't you spend the 90 dollars on going to the grocery store and like buying a couple vegetables because it looked you know i know you haven't eaten one in like three <laughs> years um i just see that shit a lot and i i think it's misguided people just thinking the wrong thing is going to help them but yeah uh, you know just shit like that and, and of- i'm going to interrupt you i think all I don't think powerlifting equipment, like, none of them that have been released look that cool. I will agree. I think that most powerlifting stuff is very ugly. Like, yeah. I hate, like, I hate the, the like, uh, I hate the headband trend right now. Yeah. The headband trend drives me crazy. Um, and, and, and you know what, though? This is a, this is pisses me off because I really need a headband to fucking keep my hair out of my face. But there's too many bald guys wearing headbands. Yes, that don't and they're hiding their shitty longer. hairlines. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're so, doing. And you know what? I'm going to blame you, Russ Horhe. You're fucking this up for everyone. Hey, he's just capitalizing. You can't get mad at him. Right? I know I am um, mad at him. I don't give a shit. I have every right to be mad at him because he's way better at me at the sport. So take this one. Take this one, Russ. I'm mad at you for ruining cool. headbands for me because I can't wear a headband in the gym and be like, oh, look at this USAPL guy right now. Like, yeah right. Fuck! I I need my headband, man. I I can't wear a hat in competition. There's I have like, long hair. I need it out of my face. 
that's definitely fair. I mean, I would give you a pass, but I, I, I also see your reasoning for not wanting to, to rock it at this point. But, yeah, I mean, there's just too many people not just, like, wearing, like, fucking, like, sweatpants and a Fruit of the Loom t-shirt, like, to power lift. Yeah. It's like, you gotta have the A7. You gotta have the fucking, like, Jed North shorts. You gotta have the virus tights, like. Oh my man, like just train, you know, you're you're gonna be all right. Like mm-hmm. you don't need this stuff, you know. Everybody that owns this stuff is also always like, I'm broke and I'm like, Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> Well, yeah, and I alright, so the only time I got Jed North stuff was because it was free, so thank you for anyone who hooked me up with Jed North stuff. But like I noticed it go do people not go to Ross dress for less or a dollar store and look at the shorts that they have? Yeah, that's buy what I'm a saying. size shorter. And you just got a ten dollar pair of shorts, and these other ones are thirty five. The only I own two pairs of Jed Norths, uh, and my girlfriend got them for me, and I love them. Don't get me wrong; I think they're like they're very nice. They fit really well. The, the comfort is I, great. The comfort is fantastic. Never will I ever. I hate to say it, so this is probably ruining any sponsorship chance that I ever get uh, at any of these kind of companies. But. I will never, ever buy that stuff for myself. Like, I have, like, one SPD shirt that was a gift to me, mm-hmm. and I've got, like, two pairs of shorts that were a gift to me. But other than that, everything I rock is, like, I'm wearing the fucking Walmart sweatpants, uh-huh. the Walmart T-shirts. Like, you know, you can you can spend $7 and have all of my clothes. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of the – like I said, like, I, I just put my eggs in other baskets, and I just see so many people just getting caught in the wrong, the wrong stuff just trying to be this person, like, instead of just being, like – a per like their own person who's who also just lifts weights like it's almost like if you're a power lifter like i just hate that i can look across the gym and not see someone doing something and be like well that guy's a fucking usapl 22 year old junior power lifter yeah no yeah for sure i've seen it you know when i see and i i try to make it a point to never buy like name brand headbands always go to walgreens or something and get like the things off the rack because i don't yeah. want them to be like oh look at this russell he fanboy like nope i really need the headband but with equipment, though, like I will support anyone who has quality equipment. And if it's noticeably better than others, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy your stuff and wear your stuff because I support good equipment. But yes. clothing line, the, the clothing line thing is like where I take a step back on. Aside from Massonomics, I do like Massonomics shirt, shirts with the beer stuff on it. I think that's cool and clever. But I don't think I'm familiar, but... You, yeah, you, I mean, you've seen it before. It's not really a USAPL thing, though. Okay. More of a USPA, UPA, like, kind of thing. Beer drinking guys with beards and losing their hair. Eight-man strong, baby. Yes. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm talking more about, like, if you know somebody that owns four pairs of different colored, medium-sized SBDB sleeves, they're yeah. doing, they got their eggs in the wrong basket, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And especially, yeah. The col- yeah, and I, every single time I see someone with, like, thinking they have a cool singlet on, I'm like, no singlet will ever look cool. Yeah. It's it's a really a, a, the n- the most uncool clothing you could own. This also kind of this kind of brings me even back to when you were talking before, um, you know, about uh, people needing to, like, like, learn stuff for themselves. This kind of makes me think about this, too. Like, you know, you walk into your gym and, like, you see the guy who, like, is squatting, like, 175 for like five reps who's got like spd sleeves mm-hmm. uh like the spd belts he's got romalios on uh all this you know he's got like a7 wrist wraps or whatever i'm just like man like do you think that you need this stuff you know or is it just like i'm like what like do you really think you need this stuff right now mm-hmm. or 
is it just like the thing you know yeah i i've 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 seen that way too many times and especially when people post things on their story up they're like notorious slippers or something yeah like they came out i'm like they're slippers yeah, they're still, they're I'm like, are they looking for? I, I mean, they could be amazing, but I just yeah. right. There's their slippers. Never, you or I will never pay the money to find out. Yeah, I, I, I just never. I and I saw it on the store, and then whenever SBD like creates a new line, I see just the different colors that people are posting. Like, oh my god, this looks so sweet. I'm like, it really doesn't though, you know. And and I do like fashion. I do like looking good. I just don't think you could ever really look good in powerlifting things. Yeah, I mean, I dress like a like a dad, bro. Like I'm, I'm wearing, I'm wearing like my 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 khaki pants from Target. I'm wearing a button-up shirt that's tucked in. I got my belts. You know, that's 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 what I'm looking like. Well, I used to wear soccer jerseys to meets, but USAPL doesn't allow any brand, so that 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 thing was dead. The dream is dead. Yeah, and it wasn't even a fashion thing. It was because I had a really good meet and I got really superstitious. So I started wearing like the same team soccer jersey under my singlet. Cause I, nice. I like that. Yeah, I need it. Like, cause I was like, I all right, I wore it in my last meet. It was a really good meet. So, and I actually, yeah, and I will never wear the jersey I wore like my worst meet of my life because I'm incredibly superstitious. Hey man, it's your rabbit's foot right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't do it anymore. USAPL is Nazis about everything. Yeah. I love you. I'm just kidding. USAPL, please don't. Please don't listen to <laughs> bring, me. Bring the hammer down. Yeah. All right. Man, it was a fucking awesome interview. Thanks, man. I really, uh, really enjoyed being here. It was uh, definitely, uh, you know, it was fun. It wasn't very, uh, you know, to the, I guess, to the T like a lot of podcasting would be, you know? Yeah, for sure. And we would love to have you on again sometime. Hopefully, I'm in the East Coast. If I can avoid New Jersey and all of New York, that'll be great. Hey, man, the Northeast is where it's at. You, you, you come to Vermont, you come to New Hampshire for whatever reason that you would i don't think anybody ever does unless they live here yeah uh, but if you do you know we'll we'll definitely link up we'll we'll train a little bit um i'm gonna have a garage uh, a basement gym set up soon so i don't have to see i don't have to talk to you know anybody <laughs> you're more than welcome to, to to come train if you're ever in the area hell yeah man if you're ever in lombard illinois again i mean you don't have to be in lombard but if you're ever in you illinois again Wait, you live in lombard no i live pretty close to Lom- so i i mentioned with heather when she was on the show like Lombard, so Yorktown Shopping Mall, the the shopping center that the meet was held at, that was where me and my family would go to if, like, when I was a kid, if we wanted to, like, do something on the weekend. Like, wow. we'll go to the mall, we'll shop at Yorktown Mall, and then we'll go to, like, uh, Brio, like, the little Italian place, or my sister, like, the sushi place, we would go there. Like, when I was, like, 13, like, that's where my family would want to go. That and Oak Brook Mall. So that's, like... I was oh I and when I was a kid, uh, Yorktown Mall had the best fucking toy store for professional like for uh, wrestling action figures. Okay. I remember that vividly. Like I used to love going to that toy store because they had an awesome collection of uh, wrestling toys. So that's what Yorktown Mall is to me. So that's why I asked it. Like, how do you guys think of Lombard, Illinois, from like an outsider's perspective? Because the meet was seriously like ten minutes away from where I grew up. Bro, I just in my head right now, all that's happening is me being like, "Damn, like I just shit on this whole dude's like." <laughs> no. like... no, it's all. And then he mentioned it's like the fifth best suburb in Illinois. Like, I understand what it is, but I just, uh, I was always curious. I'm just curious, like, what people say. Like, 
And even if if I was from Lombard and he said it sucked, I'd be like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like, what the, dude? I don't care where I'm from. Yeah, I mean, if people got fried, you know, I thought maybe you would uh, you get a little salty. But, yeah. Um, the only time I get into debates is where, like, if someone tries to debate me that their place where they grew up is better than Chicago, I'll be like, uh, I mean, not. I, there's there's places, of course, but please don't say it's New York or L.A. or some shit because those two places suck. Like, Chicago's a good medium between those. Home is where you make it, man. For sure. <laughs> we'll end We'll end on a beautiful little... Yeah, a wholesome note. Yeah, on a really wholesome note. But, again, thank you for coming on. We'd love to have you on again sometime, man. Thanks a lot, man. It was really fun being here. All right, and now to the end of our show. Stay tuned. And we are back. Thank you, Matt Cronin, for coming on the show. We would love to have you on again sometime, and that is going to do it for Two White Lights. Long episode, so don't expect an episode coming Friday. Listen to this. We'll definitely have one coming up on Monday. And, yeah, that's going to do it for Two White Lights. Thank you for listening. We're we're not going to even do the outro either, the song. Um New song, possibly next week, so look forward to that. Alright. Again, thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes. Follow on Spotify. On iTunes, also leave a five-star rating and leave a review. That shit helps me, man. That shit helps. If you made it this far, you should definitely fucking subscribe. Alright. Peace out, guys.